This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Awesome. We're in Colossians this morning. I hope you're excited to be here. This has got to be the best-smelling Sunday school classroom in the building. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so thank you, Ms. Trish. Uh, we really stepped up the game today. I, I was telling somebody that this is like all the best parts of the New Testament all in one. That um, bacon around pork on a Sunday. I mean, you just it's like it's like as good as it gets. It's, it's, it's as good as it gets, right there. Yeah, grace is awesome. We're going to cover that today, actually. So, so that may come up. So we're in Colossians chapter three this morning. We'll start like we do each week, uh, getting up to speed. So I'll start with uh, actually. <clears throat> Does somebody want to read Colossians chapter 1 this morning? A volunteer? No, Dave. You've got to eat that bacon in front of you. <clears throat> Bree, you want to get to chapter 1? Who wants chapter 2? Zeke, got chapter 2? Cool, and I'll start in chapter 3. So I'm going to come over here and kind of stand next to you, so not to as intimidate you, but to help the voice carry just a little bit. All right? So Colossians chapter 1, as read by... Three. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, Epaphras our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray that, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church 
He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. <clears throat> I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all this energy, which is so powerfully, which so powerfully works in me. Excellent. Colossians chapter 2. Zeke, go for it. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. <clears throat> in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, 
intruding into those things which has not which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God therefore if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations do not touch do not taste do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. How much value? <clears throat> How much value, class? Really? I mean, no, there's got to be some, right? Like a little bit. Rules and regulations, a little bit of value, right? No. And we're going to continue that thought in chapter 3. So chapter 3, if then you were raised with Christ, all these things that we just discussed, think... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked, when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. While there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's start with verse 1 in chapter 3. So then if you were raised, this is raised together with Christ, seek. So what does the word seek mean? It's like, like we're going after it. I, I want the mental picture in your head to be an aircraft has just launched a missile that is seeking another target. So there's another plane that's flying in the sky and this, this missile is chasing after it. So if the plane that's being chased turns to the left, what's the missile going to do? Turn, what happens if it goes down? It's gonna, we're going to chase hard after this. This is an imperative. This is a command to go do. This is not a, you know, on those days where you kind of feel like it, you ought to think about looking over at Jesus once in a while. Nope. It says, seek those things which are above. So where do we look? We look up. And, and way too often we look down. And we get so completely consumed with all this stuff here and we lose sight of where home is. We lose sight of where the future is. We lose sight of where our real relationship is. We get all distracted. Uh, Guzik's got an extended quote here. He says, because we were raised with Christ, we should act just as Jesus did when he was resurrected. After his resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. There's a shocker, right? He left the tomb. So should we. We don't live there anymore. After his resurrection, Jesus spent his remaining time being with and ministering to his disciples. So should we live our lives to be with and to serve one another. After his resurrection, Jesus lived in supernatural power with the ability to do impossible things. So should we with the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And after his resurrection, Jesus looked forward to heaven, knowing he would soon ascend there. And so should we, recognizing that our citizenship is in heaven. See, we get to be like Jesus even in his resurrection, which is really kind of cool, right? Because when I was taught the resurrection as a child, it was, now, now this is, 
This is like, like you'll never be able to experience this. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, wow. But all of these things that he did after he resurrected, we can identify with. This is what we are called to do. So we should behave as if we've been raised with Christ because we have been. Read that sentence again. If then you were raised with Christ. Are you raised with Christ? Yes. Are you raised with Christ? Yes. yes. Then let's act like it. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting or dwelling at the right hand of God. Now, what's the right hand mean? Does it mean he hates lefties? No. Where's, where's the right hand? It's honor. It's that this is where I go when something needs to be done. I go to whoever's on my right hand. Okay? That's where, God, that's where Jesus Christ is right now. Verse 2, set your mind. This is an, another imperative. This is, I'm deciding to do this on things above. Clark's got a great quote. He says, here's your blank. Love heavenly things. Study them. Let your hearts be entirely engrossed by them. Now that you are converted to God, act in reference to heavenly things as you did formerly in reference to those of the earth. The old school guys just lay it bare sometimes. It's awful. It's good. Love heavenly things. Guzik says, every Christian is faced with the question, who will I identify with, the world or with Jesus? Because I can set my mind or set my affection or set my decision-making or set my actions the way that I think on things here on the earth or I can set them on things above where Christ is sitting, not on things here on the earth. Now, you've got a blank here. It says blank example, right? You see the blank? Blank example? I'm going to tell you a story. So do you all know what job I did when I was in high school? I had a ditch digging job, yes. I worked for the Bedford County Utility District. We didn't actually pronounce all those syllables, but um, <clears throat> the, uh, there was a joke in there. Thank you for laughing, Zeke. The, uh, that was one of the jobs that I had. I also ran my own business when I was in high school. I had a lawn mowing business, yes. And uh, I was not that good at it, quite frankly. Um, but I just, I really liked money, so I did a lot of it. Uh, and by the time I was a senior in high school, I had about 18 or 20 yards that I was doing on a regular basis. Uh, which is a healthy little business. Uh, and, but it was a lot of cash. It was a lot of money coming in. And what I found was that when I was very, very consistent, if I did the exact same type of performance every single time, people really liked that. Does this make sense? I mean, it's kind of what you expect, right? So I did a lot of yards in neighborhoods. And neighborhoods means you got a house on one side that you're not mowing. you got the house that you are. you got the house on the other side that you're not mowing. And people like the lines in between those yards to be what? Straight. Straight. So the first two years that I had my lawn care business, I just had a push mower. I had to drag that push mower all over our neighborhood and throw it in the back of my, I had a 82 Buick Skylark. <laughs> Pop the trunk up, pick the lawn mower up, <laughs> shove it in the trunk, tie it down, drive to where I was going, away we go. I got real fancy and got a uh, weed eater and that looked even better. You got a lawnmower and a weed eater sticking out of the back of an 82 Buick Skylark. It had an 8-track player mounted underneath the dash. It was cool. It was cool. Uh, so, so when I was mowing, what I found that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to mow a straight line on the border here, right? 
So I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm, I'm like, I'm on a really straight line. And then I look back and go, hmm, I look like I'm drunk. That's what I look like. This is not good. Like, well, okay, so I'm looking and I'm looking. And I'm, I'll be more careful. I'll focus more on where I'm at and I'll be really, really careful. And there was a problem with that. What's the problem with that? I have no target, right? I have no target. And I thought that getting a riding lawnmower would fix it. <laughs> so I started looking in the Shepville Times Gazette and I found a snapper. Now, the snapper that I had, have you seen the movie Forrest Gump? That's the exact model I had. It was awesome with the little curved handlebar. I, I was styling. That's right. I, I, would have been a, I would have been a junior in high school at that point, so 6'2", 120, riding Forrest Gump's lawnmower as fast as it would go. Because I found the faster you drove it, the more yards you could mow in a day. So this was good. And I thought getting a riding lawnmower would fix the straight line issue. Nope, it did not. It made it worse, actually, because I was going at a faster speed with no target. So I had a lady come out one day. She was probably like 140. And she said that she was extraordinary. She used a lot of different words that I didn't know that ladies that that age used. Uh, and she said that she was extraordinarily displeased with the crookedness of the line between her yard and her neighbor's yard. And she said, has nobody ever showed you how to do this before? And I just decided I'd be honest. No, ma'am, they hadn't, actually. Dad said, go start it up and mow all the grass that was high. So that's what he, that's, that was my education in lawn mowing, right? And she said, you got to look where you're going, not where you are. That actually makes a lot of sense, right? So came back the next time, because her, her yard had already been mowed, so it, was, it looked awful. Came back the next time, and I fixed my eyes on something way off in the distance. And I walked towards that, and I didn't look at anything next to my feet or in the mower. I only looked off at the distance. And I got all the way at the end, and I turned around straight as an arrow. I was like, well, I done figured this thing out. This is good. Because I set my mind on something that wasn't right in front of me. And the same principle applies with Christianity. If I set my mind on something far off in the distance, like maybe, I don't know, heaven, and how all things are in the context of eternity, and how we are a vapor, and our life is here and gone very quickly, when I live my life in the context of eternity, I'm setting my mind on things that are above, far out in front, and not right here, right now, which is why we can easily, so easily be distracted with all this stuff that comes up and forget that we have a different goal. So, who will I identify with, the world or with Jesus? The mowing example is your blank, if you want to. Well, you could put corny example or bad example, but mowing's in my, my notes. Verse 3, for you, what? Did you know you were dead? I'm dead. It's kind of strange to say, because, like, I am dead. But I am alive. It's all these weird seeming contradictions in the New Testament, right? But they're not. For you died, and your life is what? Hidden. Now, this word means to conceal by covering. It's the idea that, um, that it's not just, oh, you can't find it. No, it is, it is covered completely. 
So there are probably things in your home when you were growing up that your parents didn't want you to find. Everything that they're, they, they knew that, that you knew your parents didn't want you to find this thing. They have anything like that growing up? My dad, when I was, what was yours? A pistol, right? Yeah. It's probably not helpful for a four-year-old to find a pistol and, hey, let's just play with the pistol, right? No. 12 gauge. My dad had a 12 gauge. And he kept it in the top of his um, closet uh, behind several different things. And I honestly, for the longest time, didn't know when we went hunting where the gun was. Because he, he would go get everything ready and put it in the truck, and then he'd come get me. So he, I, just, I just never knew where the gun was. I, I thought it just stayed in the truck. And I looked in the truck one day. I was like, Daddy, where's the gun? What do you mean? I don't keep the gun in the truck. Keep the gun in the house. What's a good, what good's a gun going to do in the truck? Like, I don't know, but it's always in the truck. Yeah, because you don't need to know where it is. Oh, okay. It was hidden because I didn't need to know where it was but it kept it safe. It kept that gun safe from anybody that wanted to do something improperly with that gun. We are hidden safe where? With Jesus. Where's Jesus? In God. So you got two layers of protection. Well, that's pretty good. And there's actually another one. The Holy Spirit, right, is even described somewhere else as the whole Trinity is involved with our protection, with our safety. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life. You ever heard somebody say, um, music is so-and-so's life, or sport is so-and-so's life, or, or work is so-and-so's life? You ever heard somebody say that? Yep. yep. You know what ought to be said about us? Here's your blank. Christ is his life. That's a tough one, you know? That's a tough one. Because it ought to be so transparent that Jesus is his life. Jesus is her life. So when Christ, who is our life, appears, so when's he going to appear? Not a rhetorical question, sorry. When's Jesus going to appear? When God says, because he's sitting right here at the right hand, go. He's going to come and appear. And what's he going to do? Take us out of here. We're up, up, and away, right? So when Jesus appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Barclay's got a comment here. If, so if you want to go look up a really good commentary on Colossians chapter 3, it's Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y. I would strongly recommend you read it. It says, the point Paul is making here is this. In baptism, the Christian dies and rises again. As the waters close over him, it's as if he's been buried in death. And as he emerges from the waters, it's like he's been resurrected to a new life. Now, if that is so, the Christian must rise from baptism a different man. Things change as a result of this. So now, between verse 4 and verse 5, there, there's probably, there may be a heading in your, in your actual physical context, uh, uh, physical copy of the Bible. But everything kind of shifts here from verse 4 to verse 5. So now Paul gets very tactical. It's, okay, do this. All of this theology that we have just discussed is going to have an output in something that is visibly different in your lives. So verse 5, Therefore, since we're already dead, put to death. I think I have the Greek word in your notes there in italics. Necro. Necroo, actually. What does that sound like? Death. Yeah, it's like the word for death. It's the word for mortify, to kill. 
Um, Barclay's quote here, the New Testament never hesitates to demand with a certain violence the complete elimination of everything which is against God. And we don't think about the New Testament being violent in putting down things, but to say that certain things must die is kind of violent, right? I mean, this is not a nice, neat, clean little, okay, great. I mean, read the text for what it is. Put to death your members. Anybody have a different translation? How many bodies of Christ are there? One. One. Who's the head? Christ. What are we? The rest. Yes. Put to death your members. Everything else must die that is not of that body of Christ. Put to death your members which are on the earth. Now, uh, yep, we're good. Okay. It seems like to me this paragraph is focused on sexual sin. Like all of these different words revolve around this. So you've got, so put to death these things. Fornication. This includes a whole lot of stuff. This is everything from adultery to incest to just anything and everything in between. Uncleanness. This is morally uncleanness. Uh, Passion. This is the desire that you have. The the word passion and two words later desire are very similar. Uh, Evil. So these are evil thoughts, evil deeds. Uh, The actual desire is especially in the context of (coughs) wanting something that is not available. Um, And then covetousness, which is a really neat word. It's a compound word. It's a very simple compound word. Most Greek compound words are pretty complicated, but this one's really simple. It's a compound word for more and have. That's pretty basic, right? I want to have more. And the Greeks, actually, this is a quote from Barclay, the Greeks defined themselves, uh, defined this word as an insatiable desire and said that you might easily satisfy it as you might fill a water bowl, fill water in a bowl with a hole in it. So you've got a hole in a bowl and you're going to put water in it. How long is it going to take to fill that bowl? Forever. What has to be done? You've got to plug the hole. You've got to plug the hole with something or pick another bowl. But you, just, you cannot fill up a bowl that has a hole in it. If this desire is for money, it leads to theft. If the desire is for prestige, it leads to evil ambition. If the desire is for power, it leads to tyranny. If the desire is for a person, it leads to sexual sin. Another commentator described it as the opposite of the desire to give. That's what covetousness is. It's the opposite of a desire to give. Liberal giving, which is what we have been called to, is open-handed giving. It's the idea that what I have is available for your use because I recognize I don't own it. I'm a steward of it. It's available for your use. Covetousness is a closed hand. It is I'm not even going to show you what I have lest you want it. And I'm going to want yours too. It's the opposite of a willingness to give. To closed hands that may actually be in somebody else's pockets. Right? I'm reaching in your pocket. I'm going to grab what's in your pocket. I'm going to take it for myself too. This whole mentality, Paul says, it must die. It's not a turn away from it. It's not a run away from it. It's a kill it. It must be murdered. It must end its existence. There is no petting it. There is no watering it and walking it and telling it it is a good dog and everything. No, 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 no. 
we have to, don't kill dogs, okay? This was a really bad example. This did not go the direction I thought it did in my head like 30 seconds ago. We do, I'll take that off the podcast too, so. Shannon told me that she uh, listens to the podcast on the way to the other side of the world uh, every day, so it's very helpful there. So these things must die. So the question is, how do we kill them? Right? So rewind back to the Old Testament for a second. So the Old Testament with the law, the law said, here's the rules that you have to keep. So what resources did God give the children of Israel to keep the law? Let's talk about that for a sec. What resources did he give them? He gave them a copy of the law. That helps, right? So at least you know here's where the standard is. What else did he give them? Were there any people there to remind them of the law? The prophets, the priests, the Levites, the, that whole, what's that? Judges, absolutely. All these people that came in and said, that's true, that's right, go after that. What did he give them inside of them to keep the law? Conscience, absolutely. Is that a flawless help? No. New Testament actually, like New Testament's over here. New Testament actually tells us that it can be seared, right? You can burn it to the point where it's no longer functioning properly. So we, we've got a help, but it's, it's a broken help, right? What else do we have to help? Anything else to help in the Old Testament? So I've got this big long list of things to do and not do, and I have a flawed help and flawed people to help and a perfect copy of the scripture to help, but sacrifice, sure. Does that help me keep the law? Not really. Helps me make up for when I didn't, right? Fast forward to the New Testament. What do we have in the New Testament? We have the Holy Spirit. Now, now the behavior that I am called to exhibit, I have supernatural God inside of me making a difference enabling me to actually live as I have been commanded to live. This is the difference between law and grace. The expectation is still perfection. It's now we have the ability to actually do it. Massive, massive difference. I am so thankful that I am born on this side of the cross. But the heart of this paragraph is, do we want more of what is not our own? Or do I want more of what is Christ? So all these things, it says, which is idolatry. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath. What does your, your translation say that word is there for wrath? Anybody have a different word? Anger. The anger of God. You ever think about God being angry? We hear a lot about God is love, God is patient, He's just, He's kind, He's merciful, He's forgiving. And He is those things. But he is also a flawlessly perfect judge. Flawlessly perfect. I, I got to see uh, my very first, I went to court for the very first time this week in my entire life. On Monday, I went with a friend. And I'd never been inside a courtroom, which I think is kind of odd that I'd never been inside a courtroom until 39 years old. But, you know, 
That's, so, somebody else told me that too. I thought, ah, okay, that's cool. But I had never seen a, a judge like do his judicial thing. Uh, and this was a federal court, uh, just an extraordinarily ornate, like the, the white marble building downtown is beautiful inside. It's like, what in the world? When you actually get into the courtroom itself, these big, massive oil paintings of the judges and ornate stuff. I know, that's what I was thinking. The second I walked in, I, wa- I thought, how much did that cost? Good grief. And why do the, why do the people here care? What the, yeah, never mind. Sorry, I'm going to get all distracted. So I walked in, and this judge starts talking to the different lawyers, like for the prosecuting attorney and for the defense attorney, and he's talking to them. And, and I'm thinking, well, it's kind of casual. All right, he's just talking to him, having a conversation about this and about that. And then it dawns on me, he's negotiating. He's trying to come to an agreement that both of them can live with and that he's okay with and that the state and the federal government would be okay with. And I'm thinking, this is how this works? There's a negotiation? Because I've been taught in Sunday school and church my entire life that you walk into the courtroom, the judge bangs the gavel, and you go to jail. And that's not how this worked. This was a tremendous amount of negotiation. And I can assure you, I can assure you, when God holds the sinner accountable for his sin, there is no negotiation. There is no, yeah, but that's not a convenient date or time for me. It is wrath of God. It is going to be executed perfectly and flawlessly. A judicial execution that is always correct. And what it looks like, what it looks like in verse 6 is because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You ever heard these people that say, only God can judge me? You seen this? I saw this tattooed on somebody the other day and I was like, that should scare you. Like, you shouldn't brag about, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. Yeah, and it's going to be bad. (laughs) Like, really, really bad? That standard is way higher than anybody on the earth can even imagine. The perfection of Jesus is beyond everything. This is what we read about for two chapters. And if that is the standard and the wrath of God is coming, this better motivate us. Upon the sons of disobedience. Are we the sons of disobedience? Are we the sons of disobedience? Are we the sons of disobedience? You think? In which you yourselves once walked, past tense, when you lived in them, past tense, past tense, that's somebody else. He's going to come and judge these sons of disobedience. Jesus took our judgment. My judgment's done. Jesus handled that. So application. I'm sorry, I skipped a blank here for the Stedman quote. Now, people rightly ask, what is the difference between this? I actually kind of jumped ahead on this. What is the difference between this kind of a demand that Paul is making here when he said, put aside all these things and what the law says? Isn't this putting us back under the law? No, it's not. We have a new resource, a new power, a new life, a strong Savior who will be with us in every moment of temptation. And you can say no. We can say no. And it is beautiful. It is not the law. It is grace. So what's the point? Well, number one, our focus should be above. So what do I do with that? Look up. The Christianity is a thumbs-up religion. Look up. Two, judgment is coming, so tell others. And three, only God can help. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit hidden with Christ in God the Father. So what do I do with that? Use the help. You ever had a point in your life where you came to the conclusion that something that you needed to help you with the task at hand had actually been right next to you the whole time? And you just didn't realize that, oh, I, I could use like, that because it's sitting like right here. That would be very helpful. We have it not just sitting next to us. We have this inside of us. Holy Spirit is inside of us. We're hidden in Christ with, the, with Christ in the Father. All these amazing resources. It's awesome. Everything is awesome. Yes. Except this coming judgment. That's some kind of scary stuff. But we are in Christ. He's got us covered with that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So next week, we're going to be looking at verses. We're going to finish up this section, I think. We'll be looking at verses we got through 7. So 8, 9, and 10. Three verses next week. So I'm excited about this. This is week 11. I think we're going to be around 20 or 22 weeks in Colossians. So feels about like that. We'll see. All right? Thanks for coming this morning. At your tables is a weekly update. I need three people to volunteer for something that should be easy. I've been told that this is easy. It is an electronic thing. And uh, if you are good with your phone, then I would appreciate your help for about five minutes this morning after the morning service is over. Okay? After the morning service is over. We are, we are attempting to take attendance in Sunday school for all the different Sunday schools via our website in the next couple of weeks. And I need some folks to test the system and see if it will actually work as it is desired. So if you want to do that, then let me know and I can hook you up with the directions on that. So lean in at your tables. Make sure you write down your prayer requests, pray, and then you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today.